Michigan criminal defense attorney Bill Amadeo is standing by in cell block S. The jail visit starts now on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. I am Bill Amadeo from Madison Amadeo and Grable Associates and the Shiawassee Six. Super Bowl Sunday. Oh my god. Man, it's so weird. Because the Eagles are in the Super Bowl. And as a child growing up in Atlantic City, which was 60 miles from the old vet, that is something you just wouldn't say, right? Just wouldn't. Live audience agrees. And I'm pumped up at the Eagles being in the Super Bowl. And I'm going to tell a couple stories that my Uncle Sam Ioli and Scott Zolber, a good friend of mine, both of them amazing people who are not here anymore. Both diehard Eagle fans. And hopefully won't get emotional on this one. It's a tough one because you know you're exhausted and you're bringing up memories of loved ones. And the Super Bowl is a very important thing because even as a child in Ducktown, with those only few channels we got, the Super Bowl, everything shut down for, right? And, you know, you've come to this point in your career, and uh, I know I wouldn't be here without my Uncle Sam, but I was offered tickets and free flights to the game. Um, Scott Grable offered to take me to Vegas and pay for everything, and Vegas during the Super Bowl sounds like a really cool thing. Could have went to Vegas, could have went to the game, but I got a trial on Thursday. I got hearings all week. And my Uncle Sam would appreciate that. Because if it wasn't for this career, I wouldn't have the options or ability to go to events like that. So I owe the legal profession something. And one thing Uncle Sam taught me, we'll talk about the Super Bowl memories in a minute. He always said to me, Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Thanksgiving Day, go into the office. Nobody else is going to be working. It's a chance for you to get ahead. It's a chance for you to flex that muscle. And if somebody is bigger, stronger, and faster than you, you charge in their ass. He was a tough guy. And he was in Philly... He used to pick me up from the ghetto to spend time with his family, and it was really amazing father figure. And he taught me that, and I lived that. And I was, I'm proud to say I was in the office at 5.45 this morning, and I went to the gym already, and I'm going to do some more work, because my clients depend upon that. And I was never going to be the type of person that I made it to a certain level in life, and I'm just going to chill and coast. Now, always going to play like you're in trouble, like you're broke, like your life depends on it. Like you're on academic probation. We'll talk about that. So sports was always this huge aspect of my life. And Uncle Sam was a role model. And he went to Super Bowl fifteen, which was in New Orleans. And that was the first time the Eagles made it to the Super Bowl. And I saw other pictures of him dancing in New Orleans. And he got me a program. I'm a little tiny kid. And the Raiders literally kicked our ass, 27 to 10. 
and he told me when Ron Jaworski came out, you could see the white in his face. He was terrified. And he said something. He's like, you know, you could throw a football, you could read a defense, you could do this, you could do that. Whether it's the biggest stage or the smallest stage, if you're good, you're good. Don't ever forget that. Don't be intimidated by your surroundings. And Joel's was intimidated that day. And Jim Plunkett and the Raiders were not. And they handed our ass to us. The first Super Bowl memory I have, really, I don't remember that one too well, but the next year was Super Bowl sixteen, And that was the Bengals and the 49ers. And it was Joe Montana's first Super Bowl. And I remember rooting for the Bengals and being into it. And I'm starting to really understand the game a little bit and calling Uncle Sam at halftime and talking about the game. And that's my first real, real sports memory, you know? And I've always been fond of the Bengals because of that. First game I went to, Uncle Sam took me, was September 21st, 1986. I still have the ticket stubs. Broncos at the Eagles. A young John Elway and the Denver Broncos destroyed the Eagles. And this was Randall Cunningham's rookie year. And here's what was going on. I'll never forget this, because the Eagle fans... And, you know, Eagle fans, you think I'm over the top, but you got to meet some real Eagle fans, man. There's a reason there's undercover security at Eagle games, and they used to have their own jail at the old fat. In 86... What Buddy Ryan would do is he would have, at the beginning of the season, Ron Jaworski would be the QB on first and second down, and Randall Cunningham would come in on third down. Randall was a sick athlete, and uh, he just wasn't with it at this point, and the Eagles were such a bad team back then. And Eagle fans are eternally loyal to their team, but they suffered through some horrible years. And to be where they are today, it really says how that franchise turned the corner. We'll get there. February 6, 2005, was Super Bowl 39. And that was a really difficult time in my life. And I'll talk about Uncle Sam and Scott Zolber on this one. The Eagles lose to the New England Patriots. They played hard, but they lost... And Andy Reid, ironically, who was the coach of the Eagles back then, he did not have them do a hurry-up drill down two scores. And Hank Basket makes this catch, and the Eagles cover the spread, but they don't win the game. And we were so close that year. And it felt like the Eagles were never going to win the Super Bowl. And I'm talking to Scott Zolber was one of my best friends from high school and Scott became a successful bankruptcy lawyer and we're talking about the game how we think we can win and the Patriots are the favorites and I remember talking to Uncle Sam we had this heart to heart because that was my second term at Cooley and my first term at Cooley um, I am not embarrassed to say I was on academic probation Despite all the successes, I was completely on academic probation. And I am terrified. I'm going to fail out of law school and go back to Jersey. And I don't even have my seniority number as a bartender right now. 
and the game took your mind off it. And it was really tough because I was studying so hard at Cooley. And these are some of the reasons I can't stand people like Norman Fell who told me to just quit and throw in the tail. My dyslexia was so bad back then, and we didn't know about that. MyBrainTrainer.com changed everything for me, and that's a story for another time. It was a way to combat dyslexia. And I wrote these essays that were really strong, but you couldn't read my handwriting because I have this version of dyslexia called dysgraphia where you can't read my handwriting. So people like Norman Fell just gave me bad grades, despite having really good multiple choice. And I don't realize how bad the dyslexia is at this point, and I gotta overcome it. And I'm scared to death. I'm gonna be in financial aid debt. I'm gonna be a failure for law school. And Uncle Sam really told me off the ledge before the game and during halftime of the game. And the Eagles almost won. And it was kind of a sign of hope, you know? It was a sign of hope because even though they didn't win that day, the fact that they were there, and it was like symbolic, because I'm in law school, I'm there. Bill Amadeo being in law school already proved so many people wrong. As crazy that sounds today, you know, it just wasn't supposed to be for the people that wrote that script in South Jersey. And there's so many things I've been thinking about lately. But that Eagle game, it was something special. February 4th, 2018 is a really deep day for me. That was Super Bowl 52. That was the day the Eagles beat the Patriots and won their first Super Bowl, 41-33. to And what was an incredible shootout. And we did it. The Eagles are Super Bowl champions. And the year before that, I really started hitting this Krim Lowell thing hard. And the career is starting to take off. And I go back to 2005 when I'm about to fail out of law school, but I'm there. No, the Eagles were there. Now in 2018, the career is about to soar. And it was a sign of things to come. Like, wow, the Eagles are Super Bowl champions. And I think I'm going to take the world by the balls. It was symbolic. More importantly, it was the last time I ever talked to Uncle Sam and Scott Silver. And you know what's weird? Because you don't know, usually you don't know, when the last time you're going to talk to somebody. And that sucks. But Uncle Sam lived long enough to see the Eagles win the Super Bowl. And we talked that day, and it was great. And he had a feeling they were going to pull it off. And it was a special conversation. It was brief. But it was special. He was towards the end at that point. And I'm talking to Scott Zolber. And Scotty was on cloud nine that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And Scott and I always had this joke. And the joke was, I always believed a true quarterback. The number one litmus test is if they could get a ring. Could they win the Super Bowl? And the last text Scott Zolber ever sent to me, which I have saved here, was, well, asshole, I guess Nick Foles is now a better quarterback than Dan Marino. 
I can't believe we won. And I responded, LOL, dot, dot, dot. Scott would die shortly after that. That's what Uncle Sam. And I'm really grateful that they both got to see the Eagles win the Super Bowl because that was something they both longed for. Scott was taken from us way too early. I've talked about Scott so many times. Um, Scott was a kid from Margate. He didn't have to be my friend. He was, though. You know, when I was a poor kid from the hood. He stuck by me, dragging over probation and all. And Uncle Sam always stuck by me. So, spoke, seeing them win the Super Bowl, the Eagles win, that was special. Today, Andy Reid is the coach of the Chiefs. How's that even possible? I'm sure Uncle Sam and Scott are up there laughing their ass off. Probably with my Aunt Marin mom. They'll be wearing her Eagles green. It really is about life coming full circle. Here we are. A team that suffered through so many bad years. And we're on the verge of having a chance to win the second Super Bowl in five years. And I know that sounds stupid to a lot of people, but to me, it's so symbolic of my life. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. The song, you ever hear the song Africa by Toto? I miss the rain in South Africa. You gotta hear Weezer's version of it. Weezer kills that song. It was like awesome. And I was at dinner the other night with uh, Josh Champlain and the Averas, and they told me how much Kelsey Kells loves that song, Africa. And I sent the, the cover, and I hope you enjoy it. It's a great track. You know, I was going to do that coming in tonight, but, you know, we didn't have enough time. We just haven't stopped working. Oh, I know. I worked more than you today. Eh, just about. Just about, yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm just, my brain is so fried right now. You know, yesterday I had a PCC in Chi-Town at 8 o'clock. 8.15, actually. Then I had to go do a Zoom for Washington, and the Zoom judge was four hours late. <laughs> So I had to get somebody to finish the Zoom from the hotel that I drove in the snow to Oakland County. Then I came back here to do work. I didn't see you. You don't have have this. All right. I was working. All right. Prelims. The preliminary examination, rejections, and breakups. And it's weird how they all come together. All right. In my career, I have won nine. Nine prelims. Not the six. I'm doing a nine here. And I think that is more than most people ever would because you don't win prelims. Prelims are usually a waste of time. So often do I, (laughs) Megan Smith, almost 10, almost Meg. We should have done that one. We should have won that one. But, you know, I'm glad it worked out for everybody involved. Wink, wink. Anyway, she gets the job. You know what a prelim is like? And this is the reason why prelims and breakups and rejections were all put together. Here's my view of prelim, guys. A prelim is you arguing to the judge who has to have a probable cause standard, right? 
here's what you're really doing. You're arguing about why the breakup went wrong. But you're arguing it to your ex-girlfriend's best friend. <laughs> the judge will be like, and the district court judge, remember that, they are the best friend of your ex. So they can do a couple things. If you really woo them somehow, and they got enough courage to kick it, they'll say, holy shit, Bill was right for dumping her. But how often is that going to happen? Is she going to go out and her girl? No. So what they can do is get really pissed off at you and say, well, since you talk shit about your ex, I'm going to amend charges. I'm taking that CSC4 to a CSC2. Or I'm going to revoke bond. Right. How dare you run a prelim? It takes a lot of courage for a district court judge to actually objectively say, this is bullshit. And I say, it's happened nine times in my life, which is, and I, I feel there's a lot of value in waiving preliminary examinations. Every case is different, right? This is not a one size fits all thing, but you know, I've gotten some amazing deals and dismissals on things that I've waived. Every county's different though. Like in Wayne County, they run the prelim, which blows me away. Okay. So you're going to put this kid on the stand and they got to go through a cross-examination. And it's weird because some defense lawyers, and, and Meg, you could attest to this, well, we got to run a prelim or we decide to run one. We're trying to get a few cohesive points. Some of these guys are just going to beat up alleged victims. It's like some of the guys I see that are the toughest at the prelims, like screaming at children, are ones that they must not have gotten laid in high school. My God. Jesus, like it's their chance to be the big man on campus. I saw a guy the other day like scream at this child. And like, what are you hey, how are you helping your client here? I've always said this. When people ask me about therapy dogs and stuff, I'm a big fan of therapy dogs. Because the complaining witnesses, they are not the only ones that need the therapy dog. When I'm done with the cop. He or she will need a therapy dog. So, you know. And I'll tell you, man. It's been a fascinating ride lately. I hear them. Um, I hear some people at the Attorney General's office are talking shit about. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. That just hurts. Yeah, you know, you try to make friends. I don't get it. I, I know. I'm sorry that I'm working hard and filing important motions. Yeah, I can't do that. Jesus. My God. I mean, should we get punished for doing our job? Well, that's up to the prelim. Right. Think about it. Think of it like this, young lawyers. The prelim is you screaming at your ex's best friend why the relationship went sour. They're probably going to take their best friend's side. Doesn't really. That's where we're at. Which leads me to rejections and breakups. I gotta tell you, oh god, I gotta be careful here, right? Well, a little bit because we're not gonna name names, no. But we're going to talk about circumstances, and again, I got to the gym at the ass crack of dawn. I have not stopped working. The live audience has not stopped working. My brain is fried. The filter is off, and you know this filter. 
when it's on is dangerous. But imagine being off. My God. So I start thinking about people from the past. I started thinking about start thinking about some things and i want to first talk about new jersey rejections in jersey back in the day it's really weird um i've always been extremely arrogant in my looks i probably think i'm better than i am i always know from my brains i'm like friggin brad pitt because nobody this smart could actually be attractive so i kind of play that angle it's always worked for me but in jersey You'd be surprised how intellectual ability could work against you, especially working in the casino. It's like these weird cliques. And I go back to high school. In high school, we learned you could be rejected in person, but behind closed doors, things got really interesting. That was the Margate girls. So the Margate girls, they were these rich girls from the suburbs, right? And Scott Grable... Scott Grable actually did better with the Margate women than I did in person. But, Scott, I will tell you, behind closed doors, I think I may have been more successful with them. <laughs> so what would happen with the Margate girls were they would not go to the prom with you. Mm, now you're a white kid from the hood. They would not go to the dances with you. But they would come by the hood to see you. And I learned something in life right there. About the image and substance. I mean, do we really know who we really like? How often in this whole weird scheme of dating do these people... Do they date people they really like? Or are they just trying to fit in with what society tells them to do? I, I gotta tell you. I saw so many Margate girls marry within their own socioeconomic status. But come to the hood. Hook up with the guys they really liked. It was funny. And at Atlanta Community College... There were these intellectual girls, they, or so they thought. I remember this girl rejected me at ACC. Now, she said how she was so brilliant that she had to date somebody on her level. This is the odd thing, because she was at community college. So how brilliant could we be? Let me rephrase that. I went to community college... Because I was going to play travel baseball and catch a scout from the Phillies' eyes. As you can tell, that may not have worked out. That was my plan. I gotta tell you, there were some people at community college that were, like, they had this inflated ego. I got an A in my humanities course. Taught by the drug addict who just got out of rehab or a mental institution in New Jersey. College was different. Because college rejections were fascinating. You had the sorority girls that only date sorority guys. And then, years after the fact, maybe they want to sue them. That's good. You know? that we will not. How dare you have consensual sex and not be able to sue for millions of dollars? That's just messed up. I got totally got off topic there. The casino rejections were fascinating. These were the cocktail... I know, Meg, I know. Megan Smith says too soon. <laughs> She's smart. Casino rejections were interesting. I date a lot of cocktail waitresses. But, um... 
there were some that really thought they were God's gift to the world. Here's what I could say. Rejections in my youth, I am so grateful. Because some of those pe girls I like, holy shit. Look at their Facebook photos today. I mean, their beauty and intellect is rivaling each other, and they were pretty dumb back then. You know? I digress. I will say this, though. Um, once I won my first capital case and started making a lot of money, I became a lot more attractive to people that rejected me in my youth. So. What was that song by Bowling for Soup? This one goes out to my good friends, especially the ones before the Grammy nomination in 2003. Oh, my God. Guys, listen, I was always weird. It's just now that I'm successful, I could say shit and people hang up by every word. Which leads us to breakups. I got some good ones here, man. In Lansing once, a girl broke up with me because... She wanted to date a guy who was a better softball player. <laughs> I gotta tell you, Lansing softball. Okay, so here's what's going on. I'm tutoring full-time, and I'm playing softball every night. And I'm supporting Aunt Mare. This had to be the worst time of my life as far as... I got all these bar licenses, and I'm supporting my aunt with this bullshit tutoring... And I'm playing softball with these morons. And this was their world, man. I mean, I saw guys come out to softball fields with boomboxes like it's 1989. And these idiots, the one thing they understood. And by the way, some of you guys, I love you. But some of you were morons. And the one thing they understood, there were two laws that the softball guys really embraced. Number one. They knew the age of consent in Michigan was 16. Because I would see a lot of like high school sophomores dating the 40-year-old factory workers that were dealing pot on the side. They knew that was legal. And number two, they knew about marijuana legislation. There were more pot cards in Lansing softball. Oh, I broke a toenail. I need a pot card. And there was this girl I was dating at a horrible time in my life. And she told me, look, I really like you, but Tim is a better softball player than you. He led the league in home runs. And I was like, holy shit. So I'm just keeping stats out there. My favorite breakup, though, there was a girl in law school. I was crazy about this girl. And now she's probably tuned in under somebody else's name right now. I had this dream, and, like, in law school, you kind of kept your private life private. Um, yeah, it worked well, but she, she was it. I was just into her, man. I was head over heels, if you would. At least you thought. And she goes to her externship out of state. And she kept saying to me, well, look, B, I'm going to my externship. And I, I realize what this meant now. Like, she was going to find a rich, older guy at the externship. And there was a guy who was, like, 25, 30 years older than her. She broke up the marriage. She ended up with him. And that was the one that said, he's my Manhattan Shore thing, but you're my Lancity crapshoot. And that breakup was fascinating. Because her husband today, who was that old guy, 
That was the blue pill commentary, right? So, instead of just saying, okay, I bought your girl, he tried to screw me up with the New Jersey Board of Bar Examiners. And I, I will tell you, um, that did not go well with my crazy family. You didn't know, may Mary Lee Neary and Gloria Neary rest in peace, but I will tell you something. My family, God, do I love them. But if you think I'm a little off kilter at times, you didn't meet the women that raised me. They weren't really the most reasonable people, and my ex's boyfriend at the time and future husband learned that they were serious when they made certain comments on the phone. <laughs> and, um, so that breakup, um, that was interesting. Another breakup we had, which was really cool, was when I was, was my last year in Atlantic City. And I'm going off to law school. And I'm seeing this girl. Nobody really knows about it. Because in the casino industry, when you're seeing somebody, somebody else knows about it, their goal is to cease and destroy. And it was always, it was like high school on steroids. Tropicana, I will tell you this as a bartender, I learned more behind the bar than I ever learned studying for the bar. Trust me on this one. And this girl had a really interesting life. She told me she was married, but they were separated. I took her at her word. Sure, okay, whatever. Hey, you're separated. I understand. Things happen. We're seeing each other. And um, I had this condo across from Tropicana. Little tiny condo. And it was a gated community. You had to have a code to get in, which really um, didn't work well for me this night. So it turns out her husband and her were not separated. And he wanted to discuss my relationship with her. So I hear this pound on the glass. And he was hitting his gun against the glass. I'm like, hmm. And I'm like, huh. Well, you know, I got to tell you, when a guy brings a gun up to your condo and you are unarmed, it's not good. And I figured, well, I'm not going to call the police. And you're kind of like, like you put the volume on the TV real loud, hope he just goes away. But that wasn't going to happen either. So he's calling my cell phone. And um, he basically says to me, if you don't let me in, I'm just going to shoot the door open. At that point, I go, well, I'm going to let you in. Because I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to at least try to talk my way out of this shit, right? This is not good. Kids at home, if you never had a gun put to your head, don't try it. It's not a good time. And uh, while I enjoyed my time with her here and there, I really thought maybe time to break up at this point, right? Yeah. So he puts this gun to my ear, and it was really a weird thing. Like, he puts on, like, MTV, and he's kind of, like, dancing as this gun's going. Like, oh, my God. Am I going to end like this? Because I was hooking up with some girl who lied about being married while this guy's dancing to MTV in my condo and I'm like three weeks from law school. This is not a good made for lifetime movie, right? Like, how do I get out of this shit? 
So the first thing he wants is for me never to see her again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, can we agree? What can I do to put you in this car tonight? You know, if we break up right now, I'll call her and say we're done. Will you take that gun out of my face? He wanted a little more. He wanted reassurance that she wasn't seeing anybody else. Now, this is where psychology comes into play. Number one, I really assumed she was separated. Because when I started talking to her, I knew there were at least two other guys she was talking to at the same time. So she wasn't just hooking up with me. She was um, she was playing the field in the Tropicana bartender seniority list. I had the lowest seniority number, which meant I was the youngest of the crew. Bad for seniority, but good for attracting the opposite sex at the time. I don't know what to tell her. <laughs> She's loyal to you, man. This went on for a couple of hours. I mean, the dude, he's sweating. He's got the gun in my face. He's dancing to MTV. I am like shitting myself right now. And um, I end up chatting with him and talking to him and convincing him how they really have something special they need to work on. And uh, I believe in you. And I didn't understand the ramification of the situation. You gotta be careful in that situation. You can't just come off the, over the top, right? Look, dude, she's a crazy liar. She told me you were separated. It's not me. No, 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 no. He's in love with her so much to the point that he's willing to risk life in prison. And you're sitting there with this gun in your face. Oh, God, dude. So um, after he left, we shook hands. Uh, I gave him a Gatorade, which I always remember that. Uh, you know, because you're looking for anything to talk about at this point. Hey, so, what do you think of Lemon Lime Gatorade? I like it. Well, I have some in the fridge. May I offer you one? Took the Gatorade, puts the gun down. He's still dancing on MTV. He's clearly high. Um, we shook hands, and uh, he left. And I never saw her again. My choice. And uh, she tried to get back with me. But I got to tell you, sir, point well taken. That was the most interesting breakup in Atlantic City. Dude, I mean... <laughs> another thing, another weird breakup happened during my time at Cooley. There was uh, someone who, let's just say they were in the administration at Cooley. Let's leave it at that. And... Now, she really shouldn't be dating a student. It's a bad look. And I am dating other law students at the time. And one night, she comes to the Village Green Apartments. You can understand about Village Green, man. That was like a law school ghetto. Okay? <laughs> that was like, Mike, the Gatorade helped, man. I think I didn't have cherry in there. Huh? I think one line one. So here's this administrator who's a very high up at the law school at the time. And she's banging down my door nine o'clock at night on a Friday. And uh, I don't know. It just wasn't a good look. And I explained to her, hey, you know, everybody in my hallway is a Cooley student. 
do you think you should be at my apartment right now? And she told me, and these were words to live by. You little son of a bitch. I'm a woman first. Don't you ever forget that. Okay. Um, I figured with this one, like, you know, and when you break up with somebody who's crazy, let me help you out here. You gotta make it their idea. Obviously, the gun to the head. Well, <laughs> it was his idea, and I, I co-signed on that one. But when somebody like that comes into your world and you engage with them you've got to make it their idea i'd really love to be with you but i understand we, we i'm just i'm not good enough for you i mean i think i'm good enough for anybody but i mean you know in those situations i don't have these issues anymore obviously right. but you know i mean Kara overlooked a lot of shit um you know i mean she's clearly the stable one in our relationship obviously oh man I hope Max gets Kara's level of reasonableness. You know, I hope he gets my work ethic and her looks and like demeanor because that that'd be good. Because yeah. I mean, we don't need two Bill Hamadeos right now. <laughs> but yeah, you got to make it their idea, and that leads me to one more breakup. And this chick was beautiful, but cray cray times ten. And Mike, you know what I'm talking about right now, right? Okay. So, ironically, she was a cop. And she was the type of female cop who had to really be in control of everything. She was a cop, and then she was a CO. Badass chick. Beautiful, badass but, like, if you went to a restaurant, she could never sit with her back to the door. She was really, you know, we'd be eating dinner. Turn around! Like, okay. Whatever. I mean, at that point, I mean, she could say whatever she wanted. I was just infatuated with her physical appearance. But the mental got a little crazy. You know, remember once I was um, studying in the library... And I put my phone on silent. And she called me. I had like four missed calls. So I get out of the library. Oh, hey, what's going on? You son of a bitch. I called you four times. Don't think I can't plant drugs on you. Huh. Well, that wouldn't be good for character and fitness now, would it? When she threatened to put the drugs on me, if I didn't answer the call immediately, that was fun. Because I was saying, well, hmm. I wasn't even doing it behind her back. I was just studying. But this chick was, uh-uh, you didn't play with her. So now at this point, this is when the medicine man comes out and the flag is Russian red circa 1985 and it's waving in the air. Hey, B, you gotta get the hell out of here, right? And of course she's so pretty, you overlooked it for a little while. Then you're doing this balancing test. It's the risk utility test of socialization. You're weighing the looks first the mental instability and okay, you're trying to like analyze this, like how do I get out of this? And one day you realize the only way I'm going to escape this nut before I leave the area would be that she has to become interested in somebody else. So what do you do? Well, you pick somebody for her to go with. 
you don't tell him, you don't tell her. So there was this one guy went to law school with him. Didn't really like him. <laughs> he didn't like this guy. He was an asshole. And he was cocky as hell. I get any woman. I could do this. I could do that. He really wasn't all that talented or attractive, but he thought he was. And I said to him one day, hey, let me show you a picture of the girl I'm dating. And I said, what do you think of her, huh? He goes, oh, wow, she's beautiful. I'm like, she is. She really is. Um, actually, I'm meeting her. Why don't you join us? <laughs> he joins us. So at this dinner with these two narcissistic people, I mean, this is a crazy beautiful one with a badge and gun. And this guy thinks he's going to light the world on fire, which, by the way, he certainly is lighting the world on fire if trying to get a little bit of court appointed work is doing such. <laughs> And I am setting this thing in motion. I'm buying them drinks. I don't have hot to piss them back then. But I'm going to invest in this night. Because I got to tell you, I got to get rid of her. I need to make her somebody else's problem. So I'm sitting there at this dinner with this guy I can't stand. And this girl I'm trying to get rid of. I'm like, you know, you're one of the few people I think is going to be a better litigator than me. He goes, well, thank you for noticing. I said, I said to her, he is amazing. I just, and I got to tell you, I was insecure to even put you together. I said, because I'm a pretty confident guy, but he's clearly the better looking, more talented guy here. I mean, I can't imagine if he had a ch if you had met him first, we wouldn't be together right now. She's going, <laughs> like, hmm. all right. Wasn't long after that. That she decided, and I'm dissing myself, right? I'm doing stuff like weird stuff. Like, hey, don't call me 8 o'clock at night. I just got out of work, so I call like 8 o'clock at night. Oh, hey, I'm sorry, I forgot you told me not to do that. Like, can I make myself as unappealing as possible? She hated guys with facial hair, so I grew a beard briefly. I mean, I am like pulling it out, man. We are digging deep into the playbook. And I keep putting situations where those two get together. Eventually, she tells me it's not working. Like, oh no! I knew I never should have put you guys together at dinner that night. But you know, you deserve the best, and he's a great guy. Out the door. And that, um, they were together for a while, and uh, didn't really work out great. But, but I, you know, cleared the way for me to. Leave a good situation. <laughs> so, all right. Well, now, now that they're convinced that a competency may be ordered for me, I am. I'm Bill Amadeo, and I gotta tell you, I co-signed everything I said tonight. No regrets. I'm out.
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.